0: I think everything in our life is like this. Sometimes we face tough time, negative time, and we feel like why it's happening like this and I feel like that's all meant to be. You're going to learn something out of it. And then that struggle shape you in the future.
1: Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. You may remember that I interviewed my cousin, Olivia Arnold, for episode seven of the podcast, and we talked about some of her travels around the globe, including when she spent four months in India. She lived with a host family, and she worked for a nonprofit community development organization called the Institute for Philanthropy and Humanitarian Development. Olivia's host mother was also the founder of IPHD and her boss, and she raved about Madhu, and I knew I needed to ha- have her on the podcast, so I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Madhu Vaishnav. Madhu is the founder and director of the Institute for Philanthropy and Humanitarian Development, a nonprofit based in Jodhpur, Rajasthan that engages in the development of Indian rural villages through practices in three main programs financial empowerment for women, girls' education, and female health projects. Madhu has over 15 years experience in community development in India and has initiated and coordinated many independent community development programs. She has also worked with women sex workers in urban areas and co-produced a documentary film called Happiness about untouchables in Jodhpur. Prior to working in community development, Madhu was a teacher. I was so blown away by Madhu's story of perseverance, resilience, and deep compassion, strength, and humility. She believes in people, she believes in herself, and she believes above all in the power of women to change their lives, to change their families and communities and the world. At the end of our conversation, Madhu even made me tear up when I asked her about her conception of God. Listen through to the end because until the very last moment, she has so much beautiful wisdom and joy to share. Madhu, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Victoria, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here.
1: Yeah, thank you for making time for this. And I know it's very early in the morning where you are, right? You are in Jodhpur. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Jodhpur, Rajasthan. Yeah, and that's in northern India, correct?
0: Yeah, where I live, it's like a city, but not a very big city. It's a small Indian city. It's a very traditional. Uh, beautiful uh, city. It's also recognized as a blue city Because in the old city we have a mostly houses painted with the blue color oh. We have a beautiful, Yeah, we have a beautiful Fort Jodhpur Fort is one of the beautiful fort in jo- India So that's another specialty of Jodhpur. We have a beautiful tie and die uh, Beautiful hand hand embroidery and handcraft whole industry here like with the wooden export and all
1: are you from jodhpur originally
0: yeah i'm from jodhpur i born and raised in jodhpur i basically belongs to the old town of jodhpur very beautiful very old architecture the lanes are very small narrow Mm. the four-wheelers are not possible to drive there Mm.
1: could you tell me a little bit about your childhood and growing up there what your family looks like you know what what life was like for you growing up
0: so yeah i was uh, born and raised in old city old town my, uh, from in a very middle class family my mother was a government teacher during that time as well so it was a pl- privilege for us to have an educated mother mm. uh, though she was educated but there was still like a lot of barrier were there like for a gender gap and all so i was the second chi- girl child of my mother so first was my older sister and second time when she was conceiving, she was wondering that this time she should have a boy child. And then I came and she was a little disappointed <laughs> that she thought she would have a son. In Indian culture, having a son is so important and son is always more valued than boy. Son is always more valued than girl because girl is belongs to someone else. They have to marry that girl. They have to arrange dowry. They have to... Also careful about the safety and security of their daughter all the time. So there were so many challenges. And then I born and my mother was a little disappointed. And my papa and my uh, grandpa told my mother not to be disappointed. We should celebrate her birth. And then third time, my mother got a son. Mm. So together we are three siblings, two sisters and one brother.
1: And what did your father do for work?
0: My father was doing a business in another town so he was most of the time out of the town mm. so we used to live with my mother grandma aunties
1: so you grew up with a lot of women raising you a mother grandmother yeah. and aunt
0: yeah yeah we grew up in a kind of a joint family setting mm. yeah so that was a like you know lot of fun growing with the, so many children we were privileged people we were privileged children that we got the opportunity to go to school but even in that like boy my brother got a uh he went to the english medium school where the uh, all the sisters went to the both of our sister went to the hindi medium school because even they provide the like you know education there was a hierarchy that boy will carry our our name in the next generation when i was young that time it was not like that girl would also become a one day this and one day that it like you know the gender gap was really prevalent that time
1: so your brother went to a school where he where was the school taught in english is that english yeah yeah
0: that was that was a private english medium school and that was the uh, like a recent time when the english medium school started coming in the town and like we both of the sisters went to the private school but still it was like hindi media mm-hmm. because somewhere that okay they are girls they need to go to someone's home they need mm-hmm. to take care of family and children they not they don't need to be career woman right the boy would be the one who will earning. so they boy need to be more successful than girl but during the whole time when i was like my parents were raising me i got opportunity to go to this college I did my undergraduate, I did my master's from Jodhpur University and when I was in undergraduate my parents started already worrying about my marriage. They started looking for a boy that which boy would be suitable. Uh, My color is little darker, not little darker, quite darker and unfortunately that was a problem. That was another problem, (laughs) not only problem but another problem apart from a dowry. So when I was in undergraduate, my parents were having some financial uh, problem and they didn't have much money to offer as a dowry. So that was a challenge in my marriage. Second challenge was my own color.
2: Mm.
0: Though I was like very educated, I was doing my undergraduate. After that, I even went for a master's during the whole time when I was writing my thesis and I was doing my master's. At the same time, the struggle was the same for my arranged marriage. Mm.
1: How did you feel about that at the time?
0: It was like tough, challenging, and honestly, I didn't ho- have opinion opinion that time. That how should I feel now? When I used to look at my parents, I used to feel bad. But when I used to look at my side, I used to feel bad for myself as well.
2: Mm-hmm. From
0: my parents' side, they really want a suitable boy, and they want to they want me to get married as soon as possible, and they could arrange all the dowry. and This how they will gain the name in the society they will gain the respect that see they have even married their second daughter in a good family but unfortunately it wasn't happening like this so yeah it was i was feeling bad for them but at the same time i did not enjoy myself at all holding a tray with the teacup and mm. showing myself as an object mm. so i remember that was a time in my life That every month, two to three boy family used to come to see me. Hmm. And I had to dress up nicely and hold the tray, tea tray in my hand and have to present myself. And after doing this process for two years, three years, I got it really tired with this whole process. That every time two people come and they say, no... Actually, it's not suitable. Actually, the horoscope is not matching. Hmm. Sometimes they directly told my mom that, oh, we really like you, but your daughter is very dark color, mm. complexion, and that's all like, you know, that was a struggle.
1: Did that affect your self esteem at all? Like, did it make you feel bad about yourself, or was it more just frustrating? So, oh
0: No, so much. Mm. It actually affected me so badly. Mm. I always Mm. used to Mm. feel guilty on my color. I always used to think there's something wrong with my color. I always used to look for some, like, fair and lovely type of, like, product. (laughs) Mm,
1: To lighten your skin?
0: Uh, To lighten my skin. Mm.
1: Wow. And did you want to get married? How did you actually feel about marriage itself?
0: Hmm... That is a, actually. I would not say that I didn't want to marry. I really want to marry simply with the pa- person who's a who has a simple lifestyle and who understand mm. the hierarchy of the human being rather than the all the outer. You know, I was just totally tried to be a very obedient daughter mm. of my parents, and I really want to see my parents happy that time. Mm. And like you know, we girls born in a such a culture. We accept this is a part of our culture and destiny, that one day this will happen.
1: I think I also am a pretty obedient person. So I think if I was born into a culture where that, that was the way, I would feel very similarly. What, how did your parents react to that difficult process of, of years of of people saying, no, your daughter's skin is too dark or the horoscopes aren't right or, you know, how did they How did they talk to you about it? Were they compassionate with you? Were they frustrated? You know did they take it out on you, or did they feel did they feel badly about it?
0: I think it's all, everything mm. because this process was quite for a few years, and you don't stay in the same mood for a yeah a long time,
2: yeah,
1: so it was
0: everything. sometimes they were frustrated, sometimes they were worried about me that who will marry her, what will happen to her career. Apart from that, there was so much a social stigma was there. Whenever they was going to socialize in wedding or anywhere, people used to like you know torture them. The what's happening with your daughter? Mm. She's uh, like a gone so older now. They think she will not even get a suitable boy entire lifetime. And that was a how like a lot of pressure were there on them. Yeah, like, like other parents, like other parents in India, they also wanted their daughters to settle down. Marry in a nice family, have a children, and just be happy. That's type of like, you know, yeah. thinking they had. And I'm sure they felt bad that I've been rejected so many, many times.
1: What were their hopes and your hopes for your career at that point? Like, what were you studying in school and what were you hoping for after graduation?
0: Oh, so much. I really. So in India, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, they only see their children become a doctor, engineer, white collar, you know, professional people. So similarly, my parents first thought, oh, if you want to be career, some if you want to make your career, either you need to be doctor, engineer or something in administration job. And definitely I wasn't good in science, so I was really good in humanity and I took humanity. So that humanity, me taking you know, humanity has taken away a lot of other options like a doctor or something else. There was only option which was left was a teacher, so my mother really wanted uh, wanted me to become a teacher. That was the decision she had already taken. That in your professional life, if you want to be something, you would be teacher. But again, when they were looking a boy for me, that wasn't my parents' decision. After the certain age, the decision would be more with the in-laws' hand. That what they want their daughter to be, daughter-in-law to be.
1: So that was the understanding that that your in-laws would ultimately determine your career or if you had a career
0: yeah yeah so while they were looking all this process of different different boy somehow they met my somehow they heard about my husband's family that this boy is also doing a government job he has a secure like uh, you know career he has a secure job but they are looking for a, bo- a girl and my auntie actually proposed my mummy that we should go and see that boy And my mother was really like, you know, not uh, confident at all. She said, no, look, already so many people has refused her. And this boy has a government job. These families felt to do why they would actually even accept our daughter. And I clearly remember that was the time in my life when I was doing master's thesis and like studying the modern history that the British era in India and all those things. And a lot of atrocity. How it uh, those atrocities happen in India, and how people actually uh, raise their voice against those atrocity. Mm. But in mm. the same time, in my fam, my own life, I was doing masters. But my parents were even started looking the boy who only did the class tenth, mm. Parents mm. who did not even finish his high, high school. Mm. So there was a time when this even whatever the leftover boys like who did only class tenth. <laughs> or, who run a small shop in the old city, they started sending proposal. And my parents thought, oh, we will even marry her to them with this boy. Everything is depend on her destiny. If she has a good destiny, thing will change for her and all. So yeah, one hand I was rewriting the thesis and the second hand, like I was sitting in the home in the evening, the boy who did only class 10th used to come and see me. And he used to ask me the question, which was not at all relevant to my lifestyle and to my study.
1: Hmm. It feels kind of insulting, right? <laughs> yeah, very insulting. And the most insulting is like even
0: those 10th class boys also rejected me. Mm. <laughs> that was very funny. I think I'm actually, I feel good about it. That I feel like,
1: thank God, like yeah. those boys rejected me. Yeah. Imagine
0: if they would have accepted
1: me. Yeah, so how how did it end up working out with your your current husband what was that process like like and how much when when you're meeting people like how much are the parents and the individuals taking into account like whether you two get along or you know if you like each other your personalities you know like how does that factor into the process it was around
0: 1999 story like my parents then my auntie told about my husband and his family that they are looking for a girl my auntie and my mummy decided to go and meet the family though my mother wasn't confident you know but they still went and they actually proposed and they told about me that my daughter is doing masters and this and that and fortunately my in-laws really value the education mm. and they Felt very good oh girl is doing masters we will come and see but I think the whole process went for a six month back and forth mm. all his, his family came to see me and he has a two older brother they came their wife came his sister came my mother-in-law came and at the end he came and Uh, My mother was keep telling me you need to dress up nicely. You need to prepare yourself nicely and say namaste and this and that and I was really, really frustrated with the whole process. Mm. I remember I put cooking oil on my face. I will look look even more darker Uh and this (laughs) again reject me and I went there and my mother was really disappointed with me. I went and my husband saw me with a very simple cloth and all and said, oh yeah, she's really good. And he immediately said yes.
1: So at that point, you were fed up. You didn't even want him to want you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was totally fed up. I was fed up with the putting a lot of like you know, making myself look nice, presentable for yes. people, so they can accept me.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: totally objectifying myself.
1: And what do you think it was that made your husband go yes right away?
0: Oh, my husband comes from a village family. They are very simple people. Mm. And especially my husband is on next level simple person. He doesn't like anything outer, you know, makeup or any Mm. other thing. He's just so natural person. What's his name? His name is Gajendra. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able
1: to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think I'll be able to pronounce it <laughs> so yeah that
0: was a happy moment for my entire family <clears throat> it's so important to understand that arranged marriage is not a forced marriage mm-hmm. if you don't like you can say no my marriage wasn't forced marriage if I would say no my parents would never forcefully marry me right. with my husband Right. so arranged marriage is a marriage where two. for us marriage is not a relationship between two people For Indian people, marriage is a relationship between two family Mm. and then these two family agree to go together for a lifetime. Mm. I think it's not a date between two people but two family date together and see Mm. whether we can go together or not. When I was in America, uh, when people heard that I had arranged marriage, they used to feel really bad for me and Mm. they used to give me sympathy. And I told them, no, 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 it's not like that. I really don't need sympathy. I'm so happy with my marriage, marital life. And I think arranged marriage is not at all forced marriage. It means two families date together. They agree that their thought process is same. They match, they are good match. Because we don't have a like, you know, divorce option. We don't, like there is a divorce option, but family life is so important than even the career life in India. So we always make sure that, These two children, whom we are going to marry, like they would be always happy. Mm. They will, their family would be always happy. If we have any problem in the life, the both family would come together and try to resolve the problems. Mm. True, like family life is not easy. It's there were so many problems, but in that whole process, our both side family come and they help couple to resolve the problem. They help couple to grow as a person. So it's really not about the Forced marriage. Hmm. If it would be forced marriage, I could have married many years back. Right. Right. But so many people said no to me. And if I would didn't like, if I was also kind of aware that if I would not like, my parents would never forcefully marry to anyone. Right. So after he said yes, both family, my family and his family, again had a meeting together. My husband was very clear that he's just looking for a simple housewife housewife woman in the home. He didn't want any like professional woman or mm. Yeah, so in my marriage there was a commitment That I would be always housewife. I would be not Ask for a job and my mother and my father and my sister they were totally said don't worry She will never raise boy. She will never ask for a job She'll be a very obedient daughter-in-law. She'll do whatever you ask and all so yeah, that was the way it all actually fixed.
1: So that was the agreement, but then, so how did you end up becoming this <laughs> very yeah. hardworking woman? Yes,
0: so four year I was actually totally he- housewife, uh, For four waking years. up four years. I uh, waking up early morning, doing all the household chores delivering two children, I I had uh, two children during that time, living in the joint family, Uh, even before cooking meal, morning and evening, lunch dinner, I used to take permission from my mother-in-law, what should I cook, can I go in the kitchen, can I do that, going out from the home even with my own husband I need to take permission, which is the kind of a thing for every daughter-in-law not only me who was doing it, like when a mother-in-law is there, you need to take majority of permission has to come from Mm mother-in-law so i used to ask can i go out can i do this can i and sometimes she said yes sometimes she said no and if she said no then it means no (laughs) so that was like you know the initial stage was very you know fun new marriage new clothes going out with the husband and all this children and then later on i started asking myself question what i want to be Mm. from my childhood it was very clear somewhere in my mind that I want to be social worker because I used to read in my books the like a reformer people and all and my mother and my father always told me don't say that I want to be social worker say I want to be doctor or engineer because social worker is a still consider you know it's not considered as a white collar job you need to be in the field you need to meet the like the slum people and you need to go out and work in the villages. So a lot of parents don't like that type of lifestyle for their daughters. I clearly remember it was my oldest son Gyan. He was in a kindergarten school, like in a nursery school. So I went there with my oldest son. He was really, I think four or five months old, six months old. And I attended the parents teacher meeting. There and I saw a lot of parents talking something in English and I was so fascinated. I said, oh my God, they're speaking in English. I became a mother. I should also speak in a little bit in English. So I will be also kind of a get attention and I'll get respect. English is a big thing here. Like if you speak a little bit English, it means, oh, really you are an educated person. Mm-hmm. And I thought oh, I have done even masters, but I still can't speak in English at all so i think after that time i was around 27 26 27 year old and then i decided that i should learn this language i came home and i was still talking to my husband that did you see how those mother was speaking in english and now when i think i think look at back i feel like they were probably only speaking yes 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 yeah. we understand you know <laughs> <laughs> and i Oh my God, I don't know what they're speaking, but it looks fantastic. So impressive. And then I actually told my mo- mother-in-law that I want to go and learn language, another English language. And my mother-in-law, she's an incredible woman. She comes from the same village, become Corp, where I'm running organization. So her old house is our office now. So she never went to school. She never seen school in her life. And she herself has faced so much like, you know, like this, uh, what you call the gender discrimination Mm. because she was a daughter and she raised and born in village. So her condition was even worse than me and my mom. But she moved to the city so she can actually provide a better life to her children. So when I told her that I want to go and learn language, she didn't tell me no. She mm. said, no, you should go and learn. Learning is always helpful somewhere in the life. And she used to take care of my child, children, both children. And I used to go and like used to attend the English speaking classes. I remember my teacher asked me, where should I start from? And I said, start from straight away from the alphabets. Because mm. I really don't understand anything about this language. That time it was clear that I'm just learning. And then after learning, I will be still at home, housewife, because that was the agreement, condition of my marriage. And now when I look back, I feel like that was the very important step of my life. If I would have not learned the English, I would have not come to that stage.
1: So you followed that desire, right? Yeah. You didn't know where it was going to lead.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think it was all all meant it was all arranged Mm. by nature Mm.
1: yeah it's something that's come up on the podcast before with different guests the idea of following your desire the things that you are drawn to even if you don't know why or if you don't know where it's going to lead you like it'll it'll all kind of reveal itself in time (laughs) and it sounds like that was definitely the case for you I think
0: everything in our life is like this. Sometimes we face tough time, negative time, and we feel like why wow, it's happening like this. And I feel like that's all meant to be. You're going to learn something out of it. Mm. And then that struggle shape you in the future. Mm.
1: Do you feel like you learned something from the struggle that you had with the process of of eventually finding your I learned
0: from, no. I learned so much from all the process. I feel like this process was very important for me to face, even to work for women empowerment. I have seen and faced and struggled with this all thing. So now, when I'm working in this field, I can understand that. Mm. When women tell me the story, I can I can relate to myself. I know how painful it is and how tough it is to break the culture norms and change the habit of you family Mm. it's really really tough, difficult so I feel like whatever has happened in my life past it meant to it actually shaped me like this today Mm.
1: so how did you how did you end up changing changing the agreement of your marriage and working
0: I was actually shifting my oldest son Gyan's schooling so we went to see us another school for him and we went for a school uh i met an amazing lady she runs a school here she was a director of the school and i discussed with her that we are looking for a new schooling for my son and our expectation is not to teach him alphabet but make him a good person and give him a freedom of expression Mm. so he can express himself without hesitation and she loved my idea she said you are the first parent who's telling me like this Mm. she said i have seen so many Parents, doctor, engineer, and they all came and said my children need to be good in math, my children need to be good, in my child need to be good in math, good in science, and, and she said, you are the first person who's saying that my child need to be a good person, and can you please see, make sure in the school that he will learn those qualities, so she immediately, during the admission interview, she immediately offered me job. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Madhu, you should join our school. We would love to have you as a teacher. And I thought, oh my God, what is she talking? (laughs) I was shocked and I thought she's probably just joking. And then she again told my husband that your wife is amazing. Then we were coming back. He was again driving back from school to home. And I told very slight, uh, like in a very soft voice to my husband because I was a housewife. I was wearing sari. I was covering my head. I was like speaking very softly to husband and in-laws and everyone. If they said no once, then I, there was not a possibility to raise the voice again and ask the question, same question to them. Mm. So I was telling him on the bike, did you hear what she said? She said, like, I could be a very good teacher and said, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. She probably was just telling and uh, my husband didn't take it that very seriously. He didn't thought that one day I'm going to be teacher. Hmm. So uh, I came home and I was keep thinking and I had her number and I called her and she said, yeah, we would love to have you teachers still in our school. And it took me one and a half month to get a permission from my in-laws and my husband from everyone. I started ra- like slowly raising my boys, asking that, see, they were offering me jobs. I really want to be teacher. This is amazing opportunity for me and children, and we will be all three of us will be in the same school, and I can also take care of them very well there. So my mother in law first the thing was no, and then like I think they I was keep asking softly. I would try, during that time I tried to be very good daughter in law, obedience mm-hmm. or so thing, <laughs> give me permission and after one and a half month, my mother-in-law said yes. She was a very intelligent woman, but she never get opportunity to go to school. So she always had that regret. Mm. So I think probably that's why she said, okay, if she wants to go, she should. But then even that, during the whole permission process, there was agreement that I would be not switching my job. I would be never asking for another Mm -hmm. job then. This would be, i would be taking whole retirement from this school and i was so thrilled to even get a permission i will i said i'll do whatever you you will say i will never ask you anything else in my life again mm-hmm. and i just joined the school and that was an amazing experience i loved going out every day morning i loved dressing up getting prepared for my uh, getting prepared going to the school meeting staff playing with children teaching them That was an amazing, you know, transformation of my life.
1: Yeah. And so how long did you teach there?
0: I was there for four years. Four years. Then, again, after four years, my in-laws got a habit to see me going out, working. I started even raising my voice. More often, I started talking about the atrocity and what should we do and all this protest. And I started talking about the politics and... I totally became a, another person in four years, and mm. I think family kind of accepted by that time that she has a different goal in life. Uh, and then I there was a one question keep hurting my heart that being teacher and being with children was amazing. I learned so I learned so much from the children. The thing which I learned from the children was a like a patience. I mm. think that patience les- lesson i would never learn from anywhere so starting my career as a teacher was a, like you know again meant for me to be happened like this teaching was a really a right decision the whole nature or like universe decided for me i feel like without being teacher i won't be able to achieve this with a lot of patience and persistence mm. i mm. learned that from a children that so many times they fall in the playground and all and they again wake up and they again, they could they cried for a little bit and they again started playing the mm. same game. Children are amazing. Like you can learn so much. They are like your teacher. They teach you so much without saying anything. Mm. You can If you observe them, they can transfer your, transform your life.
1: And I feel like working with children or really students of any kind, also teaches you so much about yourself and where you are where you have some growing to do like I know for me they reflect back to me what my impatience or my fear or my judgment you know that's true like
0: they give you always second you need to really they give you a question to rethink Mm -hmm. am I doing right Mm -hmm. is this right Like you know so, yeah, that was uh, actually amazing for me working with children for years. But I was keep thinking that this is not what I want to achieve. I really feel like I want to be a social worker. And I uh, I told my husband, my in-laws, and I started uh, doing a little part-time job with the different NGOs. And within a year, I switched my job and I joined NGO full-time. Mm, okay. And I started working with the... Uh, different, different project, the most, uh, I worked with so many, like the cooperative society, microfinance, women empowerment, HIV positive children, these are the projects I did uh, for five years, five, six years, and then uh, the most challenging project, which I did, and my, st- my in-laws, my own family, my parents still not aware that I was working with the female sex workers, that was a very exciting project for me. Mm. That I, in fact, first I learn a lot from my children, but second I learn also a lot from a female sex worker. Mm. That was another life changing experience. I feel like what they have taught me, no university or no books can teach me. I learned like even they are selling their own, like I learned how generous the women are. Mm. I feel like they are so generous that they are a next level compared to men. For all all of those like female sex sex workers, I was working with majority of ladies has had a family, Mm. Uh, children, husband. But husband was unable to earn money. He was sick or some other problem was going on, or mother a woman was married uh, got widow with two children, so she had to earn money for giving a better life to their children or even like food to their children. Mm. So. Because they didn't know anything, they don't know what they could do. They didn't know they never went to school, so no education, no skills, nothing. And they want initial need was money, so they can buy the food for their children, bread and butter for their children. So they were just so generous that they even sell their own body mm. to get food for their children. Mm. I feel like I learned that how woman, woman in the world is so generous that they could do anything to make a better life to their children mm. i learn how mothers are great in the world mm. yeah that's thing i learned from them
1: yeah
0: it's not that these ladies really enjoy this job uh, uh, even they also have uh, like uh, has to face so much uh, trouble and exploitation in this field and their story was amazing that sometimes men call them for a one night and they reached to the place and they found four or five men there. Oh. So they have also faced so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exploitation. Sure. But unfortunately they can't raise their voice because who would listen them? This profession considered really bad profession. Like there is a lot of social stigma with that again. Mm-hmm. And these ladies work, uh, do this all job very hiddenly, so no one can know. But I feel like even how great the mother is, which person in the world, whether the man would sell their body to get food for their children, whether man would allow poor woman to rape him to get the food for the children. No, but woman can do that.
1: Yeah, that's and, and before that experience, did you have another view of sex workers? Did you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: they are dirty ladies. They spoil yeah. the families. They probably like to have all these diseases. They mm-hmm. are not good. We should not call them. We should not talk to them. Like there is a big division. I think the ladies from a middle class uh, class family, an upper middle class family, even from the low lower class, they would never prefer to talk to the mm-hmm. sex workers. And this is not a certified. You know, it's a illegally happened in India. But it still happens. Even government knows that it does happen. But I think it was uh, very interesting for me to hearing the story and how, like, like what are the challenges and troubles they face, how difficult for them it, how difficult it is for them to hand over their body to the another person whom they don't know and they probably would not even seen again in their life. But they are just doing this work so they can get some money. And I learned that majority of women feel the same way as I feel. They have the same expectations for their family and children as I have for my children. Mm. They also expect that one day their fa- life would be so good after the children will start earning money and they will get older. Their life will change and they will also have a happy life. So I feel like they feel so feel same as other woman like the pain is same the suffering is same the dreams are same the feeling is same Mm. Uh, I feel like all these sex workers I met them and they were amazing they they gave me the purpose of life so I realized I need to learn the process of development more thoroughly I was thinking that I'm something which is I'm not doing well I need to learn this process so I applied in UC Berkeley for a small diploma course, practice in social welfare. And I was very lucky that I got selected. And that was another struggle came in my life that how I will ask my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my family, my parents that I'm, I want to go to America for study. And I told my husband, and I think by the time he totally understood when I was working in the sex, with the sex workers, my husband was totally aware. Uh, the one thing which was between me and my husband was very great understanding. I told him all my work I was I was doing in the field. He he's kind of a very he's a person who never judge anything. Mm. He's very non judgmental person. So I told him I'm working with sex workers and he was still okay. But I never told this to my mother in law, my own parents, or my sisters and brother. So getting admission in America was challenge. How to proceed that, how to even disclose front of in-laws and family. I told my mother-in-law and they were all shocked and they were uh, already has gone have gone through so many shocks. Like I broke the breached agreement from housewife, I became professional, then I started working in social welfare and now I'm going abroad. A <laughs> lot of people thought that I probably will never come back to India. A lot of people thought that... Uh, like she will go and she probably would find another man there. Mm. A lot of people also thought oh, she may be having some extra, something is going on in her life. Mm. That's why she's running away from here. Because even in a upper middle class family, it doesn't happen that when your children is class 6th and 5th, you don't leave them here alone. And your mother don't go for making her own career. Mm. Mother don't go to learn. My own friends, who's uh, like who are doctor and engineer, they were telling me, "What are you doing? This is wrong decision. It's time for you to focus on your children instead of going away and study this study. What you will gain it with this study? You're wasting so much money and this and that." So that was a not only struggle from family because I think by that time my family understood that I have a different goal in my life. But the friends, family, uh, friends, relatives, the social. couldn't understand
2: that
0: Mm. what's happening and I went to America it was very tough leaving my two children back I was very homesick there Mm. I had a lot of difficulty in the class because everything was in a very professional English language I was not even used to seeing teachers so friendly with the children uh, student Mm. because our culture in India there's a big gap between teacher and student and there I saw Uh, professor being so friendly with student and I was keep thinking how should I actually approach my professor I didn't understand this how should I tell her. And she was so so supportive that one day I managed to get the courage and I went to her chamber and I told her that what you taught today I didn't understand because I was having a difficulty with the vocabulary and this and that. And then she actually asked her assistant to help me all the time after the class so Mm -hmm. That was very, very supportive.
1: How long were you there?
0: I think I was there for a few months, four mm-hmm. to five months, six months, yeah.
1: And who was taking care of your sons while you were there?
0: Oh, this is the joint family Yeah. Uh, strength.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that family was taking
0: care of them.
2: Mm-hmm. They
0: were totally fine with father and grandma. And so then I came, I finished my Diploma, I came back to India Mm. and what I learned after coming from America. I felt very empowered I felt very confident. I felt that I know how development should happen now I know the. I got a lot of experience working in the ground. I also learned some theoretical things So I felt like I really know how to move forward so in our organization that's this is what I learned in a UC Berkeley bottom-up approach And not only looking at the need of the community, but also look at the strength. So need and strength evaluation. So I did that for myself as well, that what is my strength and what is Mm -hmm. need is I want to work in a rural development. What is my strength? My strength was the Bhikamkaur village because that is the village belongs to my mother-in-law. She, my mother-in-law and father-in-law both born and raised in that village Mm -hmm. and they already had a house there. So one day my husband said, if you are looking for a village, we should also start looking, you should start looking from our own village. And I went to the village with my husband and my advisor from Australia, Susan Blair. We went to the village, we met the ladies and we loved it. And we thought, oh my God, we can't get it any more rural than this. I really liked the idea. I shared the idea with village community. I had a village meeting with a few ladies and said, we want to start the organization. We want to develop the organization here and this, and they really liked the idea. They said, yeah, that's very good. Let's start it. And after one and a half month, I think I started slowly, slowly switching my work from city to the village uh, and we opened my mother-in-law's fifth, like a house, which has a four generation history. I opened that house after 50 years, the house was full of webs and
2: Hmm.
0: very tiny too little room was there. We didn't have a, the running water is still not there in entire village. But we did not even have a light in our office. So it took me two months to get even an electricity connection and everything. But we started doing the first project, which was a skills development for the ladies. And the project called Saheli Woman. It means Saheli, it means female friend,
2: Mm.
0: so female like you and me could be Saheli, Mm -hmm. so female friends to female. Uh, And so we started the Saheli woman project, very first project there. Uh, So when we entered in the village as an organization, the community who said, oh, we would love to have you here. The same community gave us a lot of challenges. When we started, everyone said, no, we don't want to come. We don't want to learn. This is really what you're going to teach us, embroidery, how it's going to help us. It's not going to help us in any ways. So we had a lot of challenges when we started working in the village. One was building the trust. They were also comparing us to the lot of government project. They were saying government project come for a one week, two week and they disappear. CSR corporate social responsibility project comes for a one or two week and they disappear. They don't stay here for long. and Whatever little they learn, it doesn't help us in any ways. In fact, it's just waste of our time. And all those concerns were actually practical. Mm. So we started the whole Saheli woman with a group of five women. And to get those five women out from their home was also challenging. It was more challenging than me going out from the home and working. The village is village community and the conservativeness is in the village on the next level. Mm. So we met with the family, we met mother-in-law, we met father-in-law, I spoke to even brother-in-law to get a permission for a woman to come out from the home so she can come and learn embroidery. So we managed to get first five, group of five women out from the home. We, had, we didn't have a much budget. We had only 10,000 rupees, it means 100 dollars to start this whole project. So with the $100 and group of five women, we started the Saheli women, entire Saheli woman project. And today I feel proud to say that in this project, there are 28 women working today and every woman is earning more than two times more than $100. And this whole project, which was only skills development project, became a social enterprise mm. and it's recognized as an ethical, slow fashion company.
1: Wow. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about what that means?
0: Uh, we always use bottom-up approach in development in IPHD. So bottom-up, it means the need will come from the bottom, the community needs will come from a community, and then mostly the solution also comes from the community, because they know what need to be changed, instead of us as organization telling them what needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. If we have a suggestion, then we put the suggestion in the meeting, but decision would be always taken uh, like a making by the ladies. And we put the proposal that how about it's a right question that how it's going to help you. How about if we link you with the market? And the challenge was that it was all handmade embroidery. So who's going to buy the handmade embroidery in India? Where even in India, everyone wants to buy China made cheap stuff, fancy stuff. There was no glamour in the handmade stuff in, made in village. But I could see the possibility in the Western world where people love to have something handmade, and that's considered luxury. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I'm carrying handmade bag." So I told them, how about if we we'll sell there, and the ladies love the idea. And we started selling the clutches in the Western market. Uh, very initially, our ladies used to earn 1,000 rupees, 2,000 rupees with the embroidery and all. Uh, and by the time we built so much trust in the village, every single family in the village has so much trust in our organization today because they have seen the result they have seen how these 28 women become financially independent mm. not only financially independent but they become a main earning hand of the home they are earning more their husband more than their husband and few ladies are widow they don't even have husband but even being widow life is difficult for a woman in our country but if you become a widow, then it's become even more difficult, especially in the villages where you don't have man to own. You Like, ladies are mostly illiterate, so they can't even do anything else than probably labor job. But these women are now doing amazing, stitching amazing clothing.
1: This may sound like an obvious question, but why is it so important to empower the women in these villages?
0: It is really, really so important. I would say, see these ladies, when I go and meet them, I don't see them very deprived people. I feel like they're already empowered within their own boundaries. Mm -hmm. We are giving them a financial empowerment. So they even feel more empowered. I feel like if these ladies would not be empowered, they would never challenge their family. They would never come out. I feel like Saheli woman or IPHT work we are doing, it's not story of IPHT or myself. It's a story of every single woman who struggle so much to come out from their home and start working. Mm. And it, what happens? And I, oh, <clears throat> imagine if they would be not empowered, they would have never done this whole like you know struggle so successfully. They first struggle in their family to come out from the home and start earning. After like probably the same or maybe even harder than me. That they get all this problem to even get a permission to come out when they came out they came to the uh, like a organization and we straight away told them oh we are actually exporting this all the goods and they loved the idea that oh the wages would be even much better than indian wages they were very happy but the struggle was how to meet those expectation of the western world the western world expectation is a is that everything has to be so perfect Mm. Every single seam, every single centimeter has to be so perfect. So the another struggle came in their life to how to meet those perfection. And then like the third challenge was stitching clothes on a different, different fabric. They These ladies, mostly majority of ladies are illiterate. They never went to the school, but doesn't mean they're not educated. They're so educated. That's why they handle all the struggle. They actually learn so quickly. Now they even cut the fabric with the inches, centimeters. They understand all this measurement. They understand the seam allowance. They understand the design. And I don't understand any of these things. Mm. I'm just, I just—I only understand social welfare. And that's the, my expertise. But I just open up the platform and I let them take decision. I just link right people with the organization and with the project. And the majority, like who's working in Sahili woman? I'm not working. I'm not stitching. I can't even put one button. Mm-hmm. It's all about their story who's working so hard on every piece. And they're making every piece with a lot of love and make this piece really special. So it was like, you know, I never thought that I would be working one day in the fashion industry. Because I totally don't understand that. I'm into social welfare. These ladies never thought that they would be working in a industry but I feel like these ladies are so strong that I feel like ladies women in any country in any situation are kind of empowered from inside mm. that they know how to fight with it they just need to have a little push and I always say that women empowerment would not come with the workshops trainings it's so important it's vital but it's so important that women should also become a financially independent mhm ah uh, like this is the like you know practical uh, this is the right example we have front of us as a saheli woman that these 28 women their position in the home has changed their position in the village has changed they have gained now so much respect in our culture women serve husband and family that if husband is on a uh, in the kitchen area it means woman will immediately offer him food if husband has had his food then He will just move away and woman will move the plate and she'll wash the dishes and this and that. She will, her whole life just goes to serving husband. If husband is going in the bathroom, she'll stand there with the towel. So if husband come out, she can hand over him towel. But these women have set up the example in the village. They tell the husband, I'm getting late to my office. Can you please come out and help me in the kitchen? And I'm hearing... From all these ladies, their husband is helping them so much in the household chores. I feel like that's empowerment. That's really empowerment within their own home. That they now have a courage to ask their husband that, could you please help me in the household chores? Because I also go to the office. Mm. All of the ladies, they're sending the children to the school. Earlier, a lot of women's children were sitting at home because lack of awareness and Poverty, definitely. Poverty is also main issue. But now they're earning money. They're financially independent. They have a courage to take decision. Everything required money. If they send their children to the school, they need money. So now all the ladies are earning double the living wage. They are sending their children to the school. Majority of children are going to the private school. They're asking their husband to help them in the household chores. They feel so happy coming to this office. Because it's also not only workplace, but that's also a place for them to socialize. That they just leave all the problems at back home and they come here and they share the problem. A lot of our ladies are widow, so their life struggle is very different than a woman who has a husband. But when she comes in the studio and she shares her problem with other ladies, she feels satisfied. They also see them each other as a social security that if one woman is in a problem, another woman will help. Mm. One woman is a single woman, she is widow. And unfortunately, it's considered that if woman is widow, then men sometimes think that, oh, I can just go and offer her. But in that her situation, when they are working in a studio, all the men around the village, they're kind of scared about this strong woman.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They know that they can't play with these ladies at all.
1: Hmm. So the whole dynamic they- shifts. Right,
0: the whole dynamic shifts and the reason was financial empowerment yeah. the money has a lot of power now these ladies earn money so they got a lot of confidence they send their children to the school they ask their husband to help them and they become so confident that even men around the village are scared to talk anything rubbish about them that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really awesome you should come and meet them once they're I want so to.
1: strong. Ladies. <laughs> uh, they're very strong. That would be amazing. And I, I know you have you have interns from around the world, right, that come and help with the work of I of I PhD. And like I said, you have the Sahili women and then you also have the health resources and you have the work that you do in helping helping girls to get an education, right? Um yeah and you have interns from from around the world who help with that work and we, you and I were talking about how important it is for those interns to have what you were describing earlier a, a mindset of seeing the strengths of the community and not just seeing weakness and not coming in, you know, with judgment but with with love, right? For the community with love and respect.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we
0: have a internship program for students around the world, and especially we uh, accept them. We receive the more American student than any other country, because it's a internship is kind of a culture, educational culture there, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we have a student. uh, It was amazing experience. The ninety percent experience with the student was amazing. Uh, The whole organization today standing on a student. By offering internship to these students, we get benefit two ways. One, we get intellectual capital in our organization. And second, these students pay program fee. So we also get a financial capital. And after spending money in the lodging, boarding, and lively, and their living costs, majority of money then go to the girls' education and health project. Mm. So in both ways, it was amazing experience with our students. It was also very, very challenging. Uh, I would say ninety percent was uh, positive, and ten percent was challenging. And that ten percent, like, was more tough to handle the ninety percent
2: mm.
0: because you know negative impact more than positive. So yes. yeah, it was actually challenging working with students, especially when students come from those privileged universities and they, from childhood, learn that they are in a super like the best university and they know how to make things better and they know how to change the world, sometimes they come with the mindset, I'm, I'm here to help the people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm here to change the things. I'm here to fix the problem. And I feel like, no, 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 no. Actually, this internship is not to help the people here. But first of all, this internship is to help yourself to learn how the different culture and community live on this earth.
1: In hearing your story, I feel like that is the attitude that you had. You, you have this attitude of curiosity and of being a student and learning from everyone. Everything that you've described has been, oh, I want to learn English. And oh, wow, I can, I'm learning so much from the children that I'm teaching. And I'm learning so much from the women who do sex work, right? And I'm learning you learn from the Sahili women, right? Like you're constantly right. learning. You seem to have so yeah. much respect and curiosity for the people that you work with. So you're, you really practice what you preach. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's so important that we need to understand when we are in the community, whether as a social worker or intern, it's so important to understand that you are not there to make decisions. Decision should not be yours. The decision need to come from the community you are not there to teach them uh, like what is right and what is wrong you are there to put the question mark in their head and they are the one need to decide what is right and what is wrong
1: right
0: you you are not there to label them or judge them i feel like labeling and judging is the worst thing if you put a label on someone it takes years and years that for that person to remove that label mm. So it's so important that whether when we are in the community, we need to be careful. If we can help them, it's good. Even if we can't help them, that's also still good. But we need to make sure that we will not harm them because in the developing country, the sustainability is a big question. Yeah. The way it harms us, a small thing, would not harm the people in a developed country.
1: Right. It takes a long time for you to build trust in that community, right? So the harm that can be done from someone who somehow breaches that trust can can have a lasting impact right or a very or a yeah. impact. and it's
0: so important that when students foreign students are working in a foreign culture if something comes in their mind they need to clarify that this is what i'm thinking is this right or not mm. they need to clarify yeah. that what judgment and then things the opinion they have made is really right from the local culture perspective yeah sometimes it's not because it's very foreign When I was in America and there was a gay pride, and I saw naked people, and people said this is the freedom of expression, and that was very foreign to me. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Like I come from a culture where I was not even allowed to remove the uh, like sari from my head, Mm -hmm. and I saw people there naked expressing their freedom. Then I discussed with a lot of my friends, what is what type of freedom is this? Mm -hmm. Can you please explain more about it? So it's so important that without labeling and judging you need to respect the different culture. And I feel like Saheli woman, our ladies are really a role model in that. We are stitching clothes. They cover their not only head, but they also cover their face. Mm. It's sari and like the, like a scarf. They come to the studio. They come, belongs to a very conservative family. And they stitch the clothes for all the Western world. Sometimes like, the, our partner asks us, could you hold the paper who made your clothes or I made your clothes or who made your clothes? And our ladies always ask, we don't know who wears them. We know who made them, but we don't know who wears them. Mm. Such a filming clothes. Like, but like in fact, they cover the face, but they also make the bikinis. Mm. They understand that in a different side of world, when there's so much water and so much like ocean and all people live differently than us. Right, right. So it's so important that we need to respect the local culture, we need to have a culture humility, we need to humility, we need to understand the development happens differently in a different culture and different community. It can't we can't define the development in one box.
1: So let's talk about the girls' education piece a little bit.
0: So while we were doing the Sahili Woman project We were also hearing from a lot of women that girls are sitting at home, they're doing household chores, they're taking care of siblings. Or the very painful part for me was hearing that little girls, nine-year-old girls and uh, ten-year-old girls going to the child labor in the farm. And the girls' education is never valued as a boy education, boy-child going to the school. So, we look into the situation, we met the family, we arranged the meeting with the parents and we learned there were several reasons for a a girl to continue her school. Like one was poverty, families are very extremely poor Uh, and because they are poor, they send their daughters to do labor job in the farm. Mm. Uh, And if they don't send their daughter, then mother is going for a labor job. So it means the daughter needs to be at home to take care of all the chores and take care of all the siblings. And like because the girl is never understand how education is going to change her. She just loves playing outside. So she doesn't enjoy sitting in the classroom. Mm. So a lot of time even parents if parents send the daughter uh, girls to the school, they just run away from the school after uh, one hour or two hours. Parents were also not aware that education how education can change their life. How they were actually linking education as a more luxury lifestyle for a city people mm. or people who has a little bit more wealth. They were also, like there was a stigma. They were insecure about their daughter's safety. A lot of uh, so our village is also surrounded with the farming community and then farming community people live far from the school. So the school would be three kilometers, four kilometers and they don't feel comfortable sending their daughter alone on the highway freeway walking alone because they worried about her safety so there were so many like you know reason we found that why these girls are not attending the school we actually then arranged a team of outreach worker three outreach workers these are the ladies from the village and now they're running an awareness campaign education awareness campaign that how Education even changed their daughter's life. Mm. We enrolling them. Last year in 2018, 19, we en- enrolled 85 girls and we sponsored the entire education. Wow. we en- enroll them, we provide them uniforms, stationery, backpack. Uh, apart from all this, like backpack and all, we also continue conduct the meeting with the teachers and parents to make sure that their girl would have no obstacles to gain the quality education and she'll continue going to the school uh, the school where we are working it's a government school so the majority of staff is government appointed by the government but still government doesn't have enough staff to provide the school so we also hire one, our own two staff we have adopted the primary section from the state government and we are running the primary school for them so we have our two staff teachers who are teaching class one to four we provide free transportation to the farming community, mm. to the girls who are living far and who cannot feel comfortable walking back and forth. We provide them a free transportation. So this three, uh, tra- free transportation is right now only in a two farming community. But in coming years, we want to link entire village and all the girls to free tr- through pre- free transportation to school. So no girl will sit at home mm. and they'll all get an equal chance to come and learn
1: and i'm thinking about when you told your son's teacher that you wanted him that you wanted him to not just learn the alphabet but to learn to be a creative person and a good person in school what's your vision for the girls what do you want for them
0: oh, I re- my vision is that i want every girl to be in the school i want all these girls to complete their secondary school my dream is to open a small Undergraduate college for these girls Mm. because right now what happened even if we somehow manage them to keep it them in the school for class 11th and 12th as soon as they come in the class 11th their parents started worrying about her marriage Mm. Because they feel like oh after class she would have nothing to do. She will be sitting at home Her education will finish. We don't have any college in our village So majority of girls after class 10th and 12th they get married and I want to open a small undergraduate college for them so they can all come and even after schooling, they can continue and parents will see the value that after even class 12, their daughter can still at home, they don't need to do early marriages. Yeah, I want to see them empowered with education. Yeah. Not, yeah. I always say woman is a backbone of the entire society, not only the family, but society. Yeah. If woman will be educated, She'll marry to a man. She'll go to another home. She'll have a children. A educated woman can handle her family expenses, chores, everything so effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can give a. She can be a better mother to her own children. She can even be a better person as a better person to her neighbors and relatives. Mm-hmm. If the if she wants to be like a career woman, she can start her career. If she want to be a housewife, that's also fine. I don't see that as a problem. Mm-hmm. But if the tough time come in her life. She would have skills in her hand that she can go out and she can earn money for her family. If woman will be educated, the family will be educated. Mm. If woman will be empowered, the family would be empowered. Her children would be empowered from a childhood. If the family would be empowered, the community will be empowered. Because all communities has a strong woman who is giving a good value and a healthy childhood to their children. So the community will be empowered. And if community will empower as the end goal, our nation, our global community will empower. Mm. So if we want to see a better world, if we want to see a better world, it's so important that we need to focus on a woman empowerment, girls education. These women is the backbone of the society.
1: Mm. Amen. (laughs) 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 What's something that you yourself are learning about? we're growing into right now
0: think spirituality i really want to understand spirituality more in depth mm-hmm. uh at this stage so i born in born and raised in a hindu family where, where we learn from a childhood prayer days that go to the temple and then later on and i used to do that a lot with my parents and later on i came into the stage in my life i started Questioning myself why I am on this earth. What is the purpose of my life? Mm. And that question was very weird like when people used to heard they said are you okay? Why are you asking this question? But then I feel like after working with become core community I feel like at least for now. I know my the purpose of my life mm. I know why I really I, I born on this earth. I know what I need to achieve but I definitely want to learn more spirituality And I don't know really how it will happen, but so far I see my spirituality working with the human capital, with the people, with ladies.
1: Yeah, I'm happy you brought this up because I I wanted to ask you about spirituality, um, but I wasn't sure if we would have time for it.
0: (laughs) Oh, I think for me, spirituality is when I go to the village and I see women working, I can sit on the corner of the stool and I can see them working for hours and hours, how they giggle, they laugh, they tease each other, they make mistakes, and they reopen, and they stitch. That's whole the human expression Mm. is a spirituality for me. I can sit on the corner of, and I do that a lot. I go there, I sit quietly, and I see these ladies doing all this, and I feel like that's so special. That's a meditation for me. Mm. That's a really meditation for me. Sometimes I go to the school where we are working, And I also see children playing, studying with the sitting on a table and chair and carrying backpacks, school. I feel like this this is a spirituality for me, seeing them, like coming to the school, studying, learning, socializing, laughing, giggling, because I have seen their life at home without school. And now I see them in the school, I feel like that's spirituality, I feel like. The kind of a satisfaction and peace I get by seeing them now in the school and also now in working in the studio and gain, like earning their salaries, I feel like I don't get the same level of peace and uh, like satisfaction in any temple or in any other meditation.
1: Mm. It's out in the world.
0: Yeah, it's out in the world. It's uh, your action is improving someone's life Mm. and definitely they are also improving my life after working with them I became so strong but at the same time I became also so humble
2: Mm.
1: yeah I definitely hear that in the way that you tell your story there's so much strength and so much humility Mm. do you use do you do you connect to the concept of of God or God's yeah i do Mm.
0: i do i feel like the whole universe there's something superpower is there which create a problem and obstacles in your life at the right time and when you actually come over at the one stage you feel like oh my god i don't know why this problem is coming in my life but later on when you go to the next stage of your life you see that today i'm here because of that previous Mm. obstacle you see meaning. Yeah, I see meaning. I think the, I believe in a superpower and whoever is there, I feel like this power is so generous. It's like a mother, you know, mother let the child fall sometimes. Mother mother, let the child fail sometimes because no, she knows that these barriers and these obstacles and challenges are so important for that children to learn and
1: grow. Mm so that's how i see struggle and problems that's really so beautiful it just made me tear up <laughs> <laughs> because we also don't often talk about god or something divine as being like a woman or like a mother you know we often mm-hmm. at least uh in the us and in like judeo christian cultures We usually talk about God as being a man, you know, (laughs) and often like a, like a king, like a punishing man, you know, (laughs) um, the image of something, of something divine being like a mother, you know, letting the child fall. Like we were just saying, like the children on the playground who fall and then get back up again. And that's part of what makes them who they are. That's so powerful and so beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you! Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you.
1: I really hope that I can come visit someday. <laughs> I'd love to see yeah. all of this in action.
0: They would love to hear uh, host you here, mm-hmm. and I'm sure ladies can make you very fancy, like very like some dresses. Oh
1: my gosh, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> For more about Madhu's work, visit IPHDIndia.com or follow on Instagram at IPHD underscore India. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.